Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. My favorite type of graffiti isn't the elaborately drawn tag, though those can be sick. But at least around my neighborhood, sometimes you'll see some phrase or sentence that toes the line between pretentious poetry and, like, bong hit nonsense. That kind of phrase, written obviously by a couple teenage friends, is at the center of today's book. It's called Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson, and he told NPR Scott Simon about how he was inspired by his own friend from childhood and how he'd hoped the book would give them a reason to reconnect. But then his friend died suddenly, and now the book is a reason to remember. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. I'm going to ask Kevin Wilson to read a line that sets off so much in his new novel, Now is Not the Time to Panic. Mr. Wilson? The Edge is a shantytown filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives, and the law is skinny with hunger for us. Whatever those words may mean. Two teens, Frankie and Zeke, growing up in Coldfield, Tennessee in the 90s, turned them into an art project, a much-reproduced poster that becomes a national phenomenon. But its history stays buried and obscured until Frankie Budge, all grown up now and a writer, gets a call from a journalist. Kevin Wilson, author of Nothing to See Here and other novels, joins us now from Swanee, Tennessee, where he teaches at the University of the South. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You heard these words in your own life, didn't you? Yeah, this goes all the way back to uh, the summer after my freshman year of college, which would have been, I think, 97. Um, I was living in an apartment with my cousin, and his best friend, whose name was Eric Haley, who had gone to NYU film school. He'd finished up grad school for acting and was moving after the summer to Los Angeles to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And that summer we made movies. He was kind of super charismatic. And I was working for the medical center at Vanderbilt where my job was to type the policy and procedures manual and put it online And I got so bored, I just started making up stuff and putting it in there. And I figured no one would ever notice or see it. I was just writing random things in all the policies. And I asked Eric if he wanted to add something. And and he gave me a version of that line. The minute he said it, it just kind of exploded in my brain. And I've held on to it ever since. Wow. And I gather uh, Eric left us during COVID. Yeah, so I was writing this book. He knew I was writing it. um, And we'd fallen out of touch. He was in L.A. And I kind of assumed that the book would be uh, the thing that brought us back into each other's orbit. And then uh, he passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. uh, And I felt like all I really had left was my memories of him. But then I realized I had this book that I could write my way towards something with these fictional characters 
that it was now their their story, uh, and that was freeing in a way. What do Frankie and Zeke find in each other that summer? A lot of people think it's you know kind of an adolescent crush. Well, I'm sure there's elements of that, you know, to to see somebody who is interested in you and to feel that spark of recognition. But for me, I think what I was interested in is when you're isolated, when you're lonely, when you feel separate from the world, more than romance, it's the recognition that somebody else sees you for who you are. And, you know, you can have adults tell you, like, you can be anything you want or you have talent, but to have someone your your own age look at you and see you and imagine you in the future, I feel like that can be more powerful. Yeah, they they begin by putting their uh, their artwork with those lines on bulletin boards on the backs of of cereal boxes, inside shoe boxes, in stores, on the gravestone of an old Confederate soldier. What puts wings on those lines, though? What do you think it? in your novel, began to set off, really, in city after city. So much of art, you know, there's a source. You know, it's attached to someone who can claim ownership of it. And and what we hope is that person can maybe explain some of it to give us clarity. And so this anonymous poster, uh, it leaves it in the hands of the viewer or the receiver to Uh fill it with meaning and to imbue it with meaning. And most people are pretty chaotic and strange, and they fill it with the weirdest things. And I think that's what gives it wings, is is that there's no one saying it's correct or wrong, and people just take it and run with it. This novel, this lovely novel, raises the question, what makes something stick with people? Well, it's I'm sure it's tied, like, why do I remember this nonsense line? You know, it's because a person that I loved who meant the world to me, who was one of the first people to tell me that I could make art, said it, right? And so I held on to it because when I would say it in my head, I wasn't just hearing the line. I was remembering myself at 19 years old, not sure of what I was going to do, and having this other person show me this little sliver of light that I could walk towards if I wanted to. And that's why I remember it. I'm going to get to say it this time. <clears throat> the edge is a shantytown filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives, and the law is skinny with hunger for us. You know, I think it almost means something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's just so nice to hear someone else say it instead of just rattling around in my head, honestly. It's quite beautiful, and I don't know why, and I guess that's the point. Yeah, I've had 25 years with it, and I still haven't figured it out. Kevin Wilson, his novel, Now Is Not the Time to Panic. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country, but from the eyes of students, what are we missing? 
from the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.